Okay. We're going to have a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this afternoon that we have uh, to be able to study your word. Father, it's such a privilege to be able to discuss such important topics. Uh, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And we need, to, we need to know, Father, this information because it is exactly what we need to live the spiritual life. So as we contemplate and think about what you've given us in the Word, Lord, give us wisdom as we approach the sealing ministry of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this is, uh, does it appear dark in here to you a little bit? Feels like it is. Yeah, could be. In any case, we, we're going to talk about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Now, we just finished the filling of the Holy Spirit. But you know, even though we finished that, we still will always come back to those basic things because how we recover fellowship, how we get back, you know, in fellowship is and, and filled with the Spirit is always going to be an important understand we're never going to go too far from that because that's the most basic understanding of uh, how you have power in the spiritual life you need power now we we have three more ministries of the spirit to go we really could have spent two more lessons on this filling the spirit but we'll keep it concise if we draw it out too much then people are going to look at it as too much information and overwhelming and we just need to know exactly what things are sometimes. Be able to hit it right there. Because what we're going to do, we're going to go through these seven ministries. And of course, we will deal with each in, in more detail as we go. So the three we have left are the sealing of the Holy Spirit, which we hope to cover tonight. And then we have um, spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives each person who believes in Christ a gift we all receive a gift we should be happy to receive a gift everybody is and then the, th the last one we're going to cover and I leave the it for last is the baptism of the Holy Spirit it is pretty important and it is detailed so <clears throat> after we deal with the gifts we will also deal with the baptism which gives us pretty there's going to be some overlap of information so that's good so we need that okay so the sealing of the Holy Spirit what is that all about we want to discuss that in, in a little detail we want to be able to uh, talk intelligently about the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit so we need this information I can tell you why we're going to talk about it from two standpoints and one uh, and this is, um, when I say two standpoints, I mean there's two aspects when we deal with this ministry. Two aspects. What is that? Oh, this is my phone? I don't believe it. There, there's two aspects when we deal with this ministry. And one is the signature guarantee of God. And that's what we're going to deal with in just a minute. I'm just turning this off. So the, the first thought of the sealing is the signature guarantee of God. Okay? And the second 
is this is important and this goes into a little bit deeper doctrine but what does God guarantee okay so when I say under the first one the signature guarantee of God that's more in terms of the fact that we have a signature guarantee of God the second one deals with what exactly is the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit what's that all about what is what is God guaranteeing us now many people have used the the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit to speak in terms of eternal security we'll see why they say that based on the scriptures that we're going to present so the first scripture, we'll just cover the passages and we'll, as we get to, if you have questions, you can just interrupt me, stop me, anytime. First, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's going to be three primary scriptures that we'll use uh, to teach this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse oh, 21 through 22. Maybe I'll write it on the board for you. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Okay. And as I said, many people will look at the sealing ministry as a guarantee of salvation. Can we look at it that way? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-one and two. We'll just go ahead and read it. It says, "Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us." set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing there's that word guaranteeing what is to come can you believe that God gives you a guarantee a signature guarantee of your salvation some people would you know if I if I were to just write this on the board right here now this Now, you know what that is? My signature. Okay, I'm going to erase it because it can't be worth a lot of money. That's my signature. Now, to you, that's... Well, what does that mean? Now, if I give you a document and say, I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars, and I sign it with my signature, what is that saying? It means I'm standing behind what I'm going to do this for you. I guarantee it. And here's it in writing. My word... And I'm writing it and signing it and putting my whole self behind what it is I'm I'm promising you. So when God gives us a a signature guarantee, and that's what sealing is. Sealing is, in in essence, God giving us a signature, guaranteeing us something. See, seals were used in the ancient world in a couple different ways. And the way that this word is used here 
is where kings, noblemen, uh, or court, and, and in correspondence. Many times, let's say a king was going to send a letter to another king. What they would do is they would seal the envelope and they would put on the envelope a, a wax, right, on the seal. They would put wax and then they would, the king would stamp his ring, his signet ring, and he would impress it on the, um, in the wax. Someone now, has entered the conference. This is awfully loud, huh? How you doing? So what happens is when, when they impress that signature into the wax and it dries, now here you have a perfect seal so that this letter could not be tampered with. And if, if somebody were to, were to look at this letter, right, and they say, oh, and let's say the person who received it, if that wax was broken and that seal, that king's signet ring was not impressed properly in there, then the person who received that was to know that this is not authentic. It did not come from that king. It could have been tampered with. Maybe the king was saying, we retreat. We're, we're not going to fight with you. You know, our army is going to withdraw. And maybe somebody who wants to have that king destroyed will change the writing and, and intercept the note and say, hey, he's going to attack. We're going to attack you. So, you know, the other king would get the, uh, the letter and he would think, wow, somebody's going to attack. So the kings would make sure that the letter that he wrote would be the letter that the next king read. So how do they do it? They use signature guarantee. How do we do that today? What do we do today to, to make sure? Hmm? Deposit. A deposit? How, how, how so? You mean how do we have someone guarantee something? Right. How do, we, how do we know that if you want to send a message to somebody, how do you know that what, that what you're sending actually gets to them? Oh, it's a certified mail. Certified? Insure. Insure it? These are ways that you could, but that even still doesn't guarantee, does it, that, that what you sent, that that person gets. How can you be sure? See, sealing today is more like encryption, okay? Suppose, a, you know, you send an email, you know, emails can be corrupted, intercepted, people can read your email, and you should know that about email. That anybody who's listening can easily read your email. So I hope you don't put anything super confidential in email. Hope you should know. You should already know that. You think you're writing to somebody and you think, oh, this is just between me and them. No, it doesn't have to be. It's one of the easiest things to intercept is email. So people, but there are ways so that when you send email, only that person that um, you that want you want to receive it will receive it, and you can encrypt email. And there's codes that you can put on that email. So only, and, you, and the other person has the unlock codes. Only they can open that email. See, in a sense, that is what stealing is like. It is God guaranteeing you that what He has given you comes from Him, first of all. And that He guarantees what it is that you get. Now, let's look at this verse again and we'll see some of the, some of the features of what he guarantees. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, 21 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Now, you, it's interesting because many people don't believe that statement. They think that they stand firm in Christ based on their works, their ability, their power. 
Who makes us stand firm in Christ according to this verse? God does. He, and, and not only just us, but Paul is saying us in the sense of us apostles, but you also, Corinthians. It's, and here's what he's done to, to demonstrate that. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us. Now when he says he anointed us, he's talking there about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The anointing is the indwelling. If you remember, recall back to when we studied the indwelling of the Spirit. It is called, another term for that, was the anointing of the Spirit. So, when it says He anointed us, and then set His seal of ownership on us. See, God owns us. We belong to God. When, when, when it says he set his seal of ownership on us, that is a reference to the fact that we are a purchased possession of God. Most people don't see it that way. They think, well, I'm, a, I'm a, my own person. Yeah, well, a lot of, well, not a lot of churches, but some churches believe that this is something special that happened to certain people. Like they'll say, this one's been anointed. Right. Or, I'm, I'm trying to receive the anointing. That's right. And here in this verse, you can see the anointing is for every single believer in Christ. So, you know, if a minister is really spirited or screaming and hollering a lot, somebody will say, oh, he's anointed. Well, that doesn't mean... He, what, they're using the term incorrectly. Because anointed means the indwelling of the Spirit. Every single believer is anointed. We have the indwelling. Can we lose it? Absolutely not. We, it abide, the Holy Spirit abides with us forever. We read that. So, he says here, it is God who anointed us. Now, who's he talking about? Us. Everybody. He's, he's talking about the apostles and the Corinthians. Not just some. Us. Set his seal of ownership on us. Now, his seal is, again, remember, think in terms of that signet ring. And, and the, the king is saying, I own this letter. I'm owning these words. I stand behind these words. Right? And if I give them to you, I mean for you to have them. And this is exactly transmitted the way I wanted it. If God is saying, I'm setting my seal of ownership on you, what he's saying is, I own you, and I guarantee who you are in Christ. He is the one who makes us stand firm in Christ. So then it says, put his seal in our hearts. Right? He put a seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Now, so two things are in play. So what we find is that God's seal is exactly, is what? What is the seal? It is, in fact, God the Holy Spirit, he, who He has put in our hearts as the deposit. So when we talk about the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about how God uses that ministry as a deposit, a guarantee that we have what He says we will have. And number two is we'll get to what does God guarantee. But we're still dealing with the fact that He guarantees, first of all, something to us. So I'm hoping you understand so far. We're going to dig in a little bit more. He anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our hearts. So anybody who has the Spirit of God, God owns. You see what I'm saying? If you don't have the Spirit of God, God does not own you. And, and that is exactly what the Scripture says. Right, we might as well turn to it. Hold your finger there. And we'll look at it in Romans chapter 8. And we could look at it in verse... 
old nine and ten or around there. Yeah, nine. Verse nine. You, however, Romans eight nine, are not are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So if a person does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Note that. The Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, denotes ownership. Okay? It denotes ownership. That's what it seems to say here to me. But if Christ is in in you, the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of who... uh, Okay, it goes on and talks about different things. But notice that one statement that if you don't have the spirit, then you don't belong. So you would imagine then if God is putting the spirit upon you, or or as far as in you, He gives us the spirit, He anoints us in that sense, then certainly He is not only telling us, okay, you have the indwelling of the spirit forever, but that is a seal. That is a guarantee that you have what God promised. So you may not have everything that God... Does everybody have everything God promised them? No. We're waiting for some things, aren't we? What are we waiting for? Well, that's one thing, right? Our resurrection body. We don't have that yet. Well, we have eternal life now. We're already one. <laughs> Main, there's a lot that we don't have, but there's a lot we do. We are already one in Christ. The moment we believe in Christ, we are one in Him. So here, let's so let's go back to this one verse, and we'll, there's a couple more we want to cover. I just want to make sure we understand that the Spirit in our hearts as a deposit. A deposit. I want to just focus on deposit for a minute. Second Corinthians one, I'm at verse twenty-two. He has set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Now you will find that the next verse that we read clearly defines that the spirit is the deposit. This makes it sound like it's two different things, but really. The seal of God is God putting His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit. And we're going to talk about more. But let me just first say, a deposit guarantees us something, doesn't it? If if somebody gives you a deposit for something, right? what is that saying? They're serious, aren't they? They're serious about it. I mean, let's suppose you're selling uh, a car. This is an example, right? And you sell, you're selling that car for $10,000. And it's, you got to sign up and everything. Every People are calling you. You know, you're getting a lot of phone calls. And then people stop by and they say, you know, I really like that car. I, I want to buy it. So now, do you just say, oh, he said he wants to buy it. So he says, well, you know, I'm going to give you a deposit. And that lets you know that he's serious about that car. Now suppose the car is $10,000, right? And he says, okay, I want to give you a deposit. And the deposit is $1. Is that good enough? Is that good? Is he serious about that car? 
No, I mean, you, you can walk away from a dollar. He says, you know what, I don't want to buy that car. You keep the dollar if you want. But suppose, suppose, just imagine, that man gave you $5,000. That's a $10,000 car. He gave you $5,000. Is he serious about that car? He wants you to not sell that car to anybody else. And you have an obligation to that person that you can't just take that 5000 and say, Oh boy, now I could still sell the car for 10000 I got 5000 right? So now that's fifteen. But no, you have an obligation. So you owe that person that car. And he's guaranteeing you that he's going to come through with the rest of the money. If he doesn't, that doesn't make any sense for him to put up $5,000, does it? So a deposit is something tangible. It is real. So if I, as the recipient, right, I received a deposit, can I spend the money? Why not? But is my is it my money? It's not. But he didn't give it to me yet. Oh, he just promised to give me the five thousand. He did give it to me. Okay, so he gives me the five thousand, but it's not my money. Oh, really? Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> I thought if that was my money, I could spend it. Your mind, you know, it's, I think I think when it comes to in Christ, we we have a deposit mm-hmm. um, with the with, with the knowledge we know that when He promised, He will come through. Uh huh. But see, we don't know for sure, though, do we? How do we know? That's like the analogy I gave with the dollar, right? Okay. Is God? Re- How do we know God's going to really deliver on His promise? Hope and faith. You think that's it? Well, I, I think it's because He has given us uh, a new nature, and by the hearing, or by by knowledge of His Word. We actually see the living God. Oh, really? So how did, how does that work? I want to I want to dig into that a little bit. I mean, it's not not of anything that we've done. So now you're not looking at the text, though, when you say that. You, no, you're kind of. I think you should be looking at the text. I mean, that would be the thing to to look at. So the text says that He has given us a deposit. So either we have it or we don't. Do we have it or, or we do have it? You sure? We is it ours? Now, is God going to renege on what He's going to give us later? So can we spend what He has given us? Can we spend it? Yeah. Well, we use it. So, so, so it's real. It's real. Is it tangible? Yeah. Okay. We use it. I mean, That's my point. Without that, we would have nothing. He's saying here that He's given us something to guarantee uh, us a future. He's going to give us more in the future. A deposit is just that. He's given us some now, but there's going to be more to come. And the fact that I'm giving you this now says, guarantees that there's more to come. So we got to look at what we have now and, and see it as tangible before 
you know, we really say we have it. See, because it's not just a matter of faith. Faith is, well, I hope I do. I hope in, in the sense of I'm, I'm absolutely sure and hope that I'm going to receive what I have. That's hope. But a deposit is real. It's tangible. Something that you will know that God has given you. Okay? And we'll get, to, we'll, get, we'll get to that in the next verse too. As we want to finish. He has given us a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. What is to come? He's going to give us the rest. Suppose He gives us 10% of what we're due. So he, he gave us that 10% now. We're supposed to know that we have that 10% now. And then, in the future, he's going to give us the 90%. Right? That makes 100%. That's everything he planned to give us. So we're not seeing deposit like that. We're seeing deposit as, yeah, he said he, he'd give us deposit, but he really didn't. But I just hope that I, I have it. Because it says in the Word I have it, but I hope I, hope I have it. Nope, that's not, that's not what deposit is. Deposit is real. It is tangible. It is it is earnest money. Okay. Just go to now. We're going to turn to the second one. Let's go to First uh, Ephesians chapter one. We'll we'll have to start moving because uh, time could get away from us here. Ephesians chapter one, and we'll just cover it. We're still on the number one, the signature guarantee of God. We'll talk about what it guarantees. Secondly. Ephesians 1. So we're just dealing with the fact of the sealing, right? And in verse 13, he says, And you also were included in Christ when you, when you heard the word of truth, right? You heard the gospel, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, okay, or after you believed in Christ, what happened? You were marked in Him with a seal. And there's that seal. What is the seal? The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit. See, the Holy Spirit is the actual deposit that God has given us. You know He's never given this deposit to anybody. And no prior person in any age has ever received this deposit. See, the deposit is not just God giving the Holy Spirit as He did in the Old Testament under endowment and, and how He gave them the Spirit would come upon them and then He would leave after a certain period of time after He accomplished the purpose in them that He wanted. But now, God has given this as our, the Spirit as our heritage. As, and now, this is, He's going to be with us forever. Now, part of this is the fact uh, that we are to understand this ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee for us. If God is guaranteeing me something, what if I, if I told you, how can I guarantee something to you? How, if I could tell you right now there's a million dollars taped to you, each of your chairs right now, do you believe that? No. You don't believe that? No. You need to look. <laughs> how do you know you don't believe that? Why don't you believe that? Oh, you're looking me up and down and saying I, he don't look like he has a million dollars. I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> no, well, tell me why don't you believe but it? I just know that a million dollars couldn't fit up on this check. That's a check. <laughs> you think I got cash? No, that's a check. A million dollars. You don't believe a check for a million dollars is under your chair. 
And suppose you reach under there and there's a check for a million dollars. And uh, I'd be happy. <laughs> He'd be happy. He'd be kicking up his heels like the Lucky Charms guy. Yeah, I just really want you to just keep pushing it and pushing it and show me. Well, the point that I'm making here with this million dollars is... How can I get you to believe that I want to get, that I'm guaranteeing that you're going to get this million dollars? Suppose I gave you a hundred thousand right now. Would that be enough for you to say, "Oh man, he's serious. He's going to give me that that million dollars or the nine hundred thousand more?" That would help you to believe. That would, right? Could you? And I, you could spend that hundred grand whatever way you want. That would be a way to look at it, right? You, I would guarantee to you that I'm giving you a million dollars by first giving you the hundred thousand, and then telling you that I'm going to give you the nine hundred later. Would that be a guarantee? Good, right? Right. You would say, you would accept that and say, yeah, now nah, he's serious. He gave me a hundred grand. I'm pretty sure he's he's serious about giving me the rest. Well, God has done that to you. Guess what? We might not see it. He has done this for us, but not everybody sees the guarantee. It's for you, but it is a matter between you and God that you see it. It is actually an experience. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's an experience. It's not a matter of faith. You don't receive the guarantee by just looking at these words and saying, Oh, he said he's guaranteeing it. No, God is saying, I'm actually giving you something tangible that you will know that I'm serious about what I've said you're going to have. See? And that's that's the second part. He's serious about this. I want you to see that in the ceiling of God. That God is guaranteeing you. Now first of all about salvation. Are you saved in the sense when God guarantees I mean that includes our salvation because if we continue to read here here in uh, 13 it says he says, and, and you also were included in Christ when he, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We'll get to that. How long? Until. Until is a time that gives us, uh, it focuses in, in, in at, a, at a time, the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Notice the same terms, we God owns us. And what does He mean to the redemption? That, that refers to future when we receive our resurrection bodies. So we know that God guarantees us something until we get it. See, the, the, the deposit is guaranteed. God is giving us this guarantee until... This time when he gives us the full amount of what we're supposed to get. Does that make sense? Now, even if we didn't know what the guarantee was, we just should know that we are guaranteed something. Right? We definitely are given something by God. And this, this that he gives us is going to last us and be good enough until he gives us the full in the future. And what is that referred to? The, until the redemption of those, that's us, who are God's possession. He owns us. And He's going to give, we'll have full redemption when? When we receive our resurrection bodies. We don't have those yet. And there's something that's going to happen at that time that will be the fullness of what God has planned for us. The fullness, the complete. 
Mm-hmm. We, we can say like a deposit is always a small portion that that's right. full. Mm-hmm. So whatever we shall become, it's going to be much more glorious and grand. Much than more. We've been given here on earth. Absolutely. And well, since you said that, let's turn to Romans 8 real quick. Maybe we'll skip along and read quickly. Romans 8. And look at verse 18. It says, I consider that our present sufferings, this is 818, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, so what's going on now, he's saying, is not worth comparing with something that's going to be so much greater in the future. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. What do you mean revealed? Aren't we revealed now? Not in this way. Not in in glory, as it says. For the creation uh, was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage uh, of decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So when we are revealed, things will change. Nature on earth, the creation which is burdened and groaning under the, pre- the, the pressure and burden of the curse that God put on it from the beginning will be released from its bondage and its decay in the glorious freedom of that we bring. So we are not only bringing liberation from our own bodies, but we're liberating our environment. We are liberating in, in and of ourselves. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. There it is. There is the deposit again. We have. So what do you mean we ourselves? Well, we're groaning. So even though we have the first fruits of the Spirit, what is that? The deposit. We're groaning in these bodies because we are not um, fulfilling the complete destiny that God has planned for us. We still have more that God is going to give us. And we know that we have more. How do we know? Because we have that first fruits of the Spirit. Now first fruits, again, is another term we've been saying in many ways. What is first fruits? First fruits is the first. When Israel had the the, the first fruits when they brought their first fruits before the Lord it was the first of their their uh, crop and they would bring that before the Lord and it wasn't the whole of their crop it was, but that first represented the whole see? that's why the, the offering of the first fruits you give him the first fruits and this is saying Lord uh, we dedicate everything to you by giving him the first fruits of what you possess and, and in this way God is saying I am giving you the first fruits of the Spirit. Well, he's saying now you really possess all, but you you don't have it all. This is just a token of what you will have, because you will have it all. That's what he's saying. So we have the first fruits. What is that? That's the deposit. That's the seal of God that he has guaranteed that we will have what he planned for us. Okay? So of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. Now we're going to start getting into the second part of it. Now we almost can't avoid getting into the second part of it. How much time do we have? What time is it? 
Okay, it was at 8.30? 8.36. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, we were in Romans chapter 8, and we we're just reading verse 23. Our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies. So now, when we go back to this word here in Ephesians, where it says, until the redemption of the purchased possession of those who are who belong to God, we know what he's talking about, the redemption of our bodies. That is yet future, isn't it? Have we been redeemed, though? Well, in a sense, we have, right? We've been redeemed by the blood, right? When we were saved, in a sense, Christ purchased us from the slave market of sin. And so we were redeemed. redeemed. But that's not it. There's more that's going to come. And that is here, the redemption of our bodies. That's when we receive our resurrection body. Our soul has been. Our soul has been redeemed. Right. A good way to put it. Yeah. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Boy, there's so much in that. But let's go to, there's another scripture that we want to turn to. And this is Ephesians 4 and 30. 4 and 30. We'll come back to the second portion of what does God guarantee. And you're saying it's only 8.30. We must have the time to do it then. Okay. Okay. Alright. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse... 30. Ephesians 4 and verse 30. As you turn in there, just note, there is other references, there are other references to sealing in the New Testament. One is in Revelation, where the 144,000 are sealed. Now, there's, that sealing is totally different from what we're dealing with here. And you'll notice that these 144,000 are Jews. And it tells you what tribe they're from, that the ones are sealed, 7,000 from this was it? Yeah, twelve thousand. Yeah. From this tribe, twelve thousand, and then they all equals one hundred forty-four thousand, and they were sealed, uh, all of them. But this is that's a different sealing than what we're dealing with here, and totally different. Just want to point that out to you. Ephesians four and verse thirty says, "And do not grieve the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, with whom." You were sealed. Now, is there any question about what the seal is? It is the Holy Spirit, right? Just making sure people are on the same page. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, sealed for the day of redemption. Again, what is the day of redemption? That's the day when we receive our resurrection bodies, right? Hope this is starting to all make sense, right? So, this... Notice... Even if you grieve the Holy Spirit, that doesn't. That he's. This is a, an admonition not to grieve the Holy Spirit because we're sealed to the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is in us, working in us. Now, what grieves the Holy Spirit? Just, just go ahead and throw that out there. What? What grieves the Holy Spirit? Sin, Sin disobedience, unrighteousness. The Holy Spirit can't be pleased with that. Now, if He lives in you. Right, and, and and you conduct yourself in a way that is displeasing to him. He's grieved. Why is he grieved? Why does he just live in you and just don't care? Because he wants to have influence in your life. He wants to influence you to walk according to your righteous nature. Remember the filling of the spirit. So when he's grieved, he's not allowed to do that because of your volition, where you have submitted yourself to the old sin nature and then produce sin. So let's look at some of these verses 
around the ceiling so we don't just think it's uh, here look at this start at verse 25 425 therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully with his neighbor that means you you have to be and when it comes to believers believers we need to be honest, actually everybody but we need to be honest and transparent when it comes to speaking the truth and for we are all members of one body See, and this is, is important as we deal with each other as fellow believers, we are honest and truthful. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not gr- give the devil a foothold. Uh, so now here, what is to be angry does what? Gives the devil a foothold in your life, doesn't it? What will happen if we get? Is it a? It is a human thing to get angry, isn't it? It is very human, very, very human to be angry. But what happens if you're angry in this way? You allow the devil a foothold in your life. That's what it says right here. So don't let the sun go down while you're angry. So somebody read this before, and I remember. So so it's okay to be angry just as long as the sun is up. Is that what this is saying? No. Saying, don't, no, don't do it. But he recognizes that a person who gets angry just can't turn it off like that. It just doesn't work that way. So, what happens? You have to regroup, reorganize your thinking and get yourself back under the filling or control of the Spirit. Because when you're under anger, what are you under control of? The sin nature. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's what this is saying. That's why the Holy Spirit is grieved. So, here. Watch this, um, and do not gr- here, and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not because what happens if you do? Bitterness sets in. If you allow anger to fester, bitterness sets in. Verse twenty-seven, and do not give the devil a foothold. That's how you would give him a foothold through bitterness. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. He's talking to believers. You think believers steal? Wait a minute. Absolutely, they do. And he's telling them, if that's what you've been doing, you need to stop. You know why? Because stealing grieves the Holy Spirit. That's not God's will for your life. But people who were doing it, he had to tell them, stop doing it. See, He's not saying, and believers never steal. He's not saying that. He's saying, believers do steal, and I'm telling you now, stop stealing. Okay. Then he's saying, must work doing something useful with his own hands. So that's how you get money. Okay. <laughs> you need money? Go to work. That's what he's saying. Do. Don't go out stealing other people's money. That he may have something to share with those in need. Notice, when you get money, guess what you should be thinking about? How you can help people. How you can share. Not hoard it up. Man, you know how much money I got in the bank? You know you know how people are when they get money? Here, you're supposed to be... You know, you got brothers and sisters all around you in the body of Christ. And this is what... So you could share with those in need. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building up uh, others according to their needs. Now this is... You know, you could be filled with the Spirit, all this, walking in truth, all this. And then, if what comes out of your mouth is rude and coarse and, and curse, curse words, people are going to look at that and that is inconsistent with the Christian way of life. That is not how we've come to know Christ. 
You know, that is not what Christ... In fact, you could look at this from... Um, I think it goes into it here. No, actually it's in 20... Um, 20, verse 20. Uh, where it says, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Yeah, That is not the way of the Lord. When you have unwholesome talk coming from your mouth. That is certainly, certainly wrong. And what does it do? Grieves the Holy Spirit when you have that. But only, here's what, what the, the Holy Spirit would influence you to do, what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Right? Uh, and do not, here it is, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That is a guarantee of our salvation. That sealing is a guarantee that we will get to the point where God promised we would be. Now he's saying for people who live, you can, even though the Holy Spirit is in you, even though you can't lose Him, you can grieve Him. And grieving Him, He can't influence your life to walk according to truth. He can't teach you doctrine, which is a part of what He does. Okay, so then look at verse 31. Alright, so what do you do with all those things if you have them? Simply, get rid of them. That's what it says. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger. Now here it is, get rid of anger. Right? So, so can we keep it? No, get rid of it. Brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Malice is the lust to hurt others. Right? You, people have that, you know. People are looking at me like, well, I don't think so. Not believers. Yeah. Believers can have a lust to hurt others, to see others do bad, want others do bad. Right? So get rid of it. How do you what do you get rid of that type of thing? And what do you do instead of that? Here's what you should be thinking. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as God, just as Christ is in Christ, God forgave you. Man. So, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, but you know what? No matter what, we are sealed through, until the day of redemption. Even if we conduct ourselves this way, you know what? We don't become unsealed. In fact, there's nothing in the Bible, no scripture ever, that says that a person who is sealed can become unsealed. That is God's work, the sealing. It is God who makes us stand firm in Christ, remember? It is not us. God makes us stand for And not only that, He put His seal as a guarantee of what is to come. So, I hope everybody understands those. Uh, but we've got to go back now and, and deal with what does God guarantee. And we're not going to cover it completely, but we'll at, at least deal with the subject. What does it guarantee? So some people will say, well, I'm just saved. I'm guaranteed salvation. No, no. It has, it has to do with salvation. Salvation is a logical part of the sealing, but salvation, you are not saved. So that, and that salvation is the guarantee. It is our inheritance that is guaranteed. Now let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Let's run back there and we'll, we'll just deal with that inheritance for a minute. Ephesians 1, and we, we'll, we'll skip to verse 14. It says, Who, with who, the God, the Holy Spirit, is a deposit, guaranteeing what? Our inheritance. There it is. 
our inheritance until the redemption of our bodies. Well, what do you mean until the redemption of our bodies? Until we receive our full inheritance. Did you know that you have an inheritance of God? Did you know? That's precious. Some people say, yeah, I got an inheritance. No, I mean, we need to all, we need to all be Pentecostal charismatics right now. So because we need to be shouting about this inheritance that God has given us. What is it? It's exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask or imagine. This is the inheritance. This inheritance is where God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. This is something that God thought about for us from the eternity past. I want to look at something. Go back to Romans. Wow, there's just so much. That's why I said we're not going to be able to finish this. But I want you to see that God has given you something that goes beyond your wildest imaginations as far as who you are. He's given us this. Romans chapter 8. We talked about the future glory where Paul says in 18 that I consider at the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This is the glory that will be revealed when we receive the redemption of our bodies. We've already found that out. But I want you to skip down now. I just want you to see salvation from God's perspective and what He planned for us. See, when it talks about He chose us in Him, He's talking about from eternity past, God chose us. What that means is God selected you, especially you, to have this blessing. And He chose you from in, before time began. I want you to see verse 28 through 30. Let's look at this. And we know, Romans 8, 28, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Well, who is that, Paul? Who loves Him? Well, who have been called according to His purpose. See, those who are called according to His purpose and those who love Him, or in other words, they understand what's going on and they love God, right? God works these things out. Now, you know what? God is working things out for unbelievers, not unbelievers, but for believers who, who don't, haven't come to this point, but they just don't know it. So they're living life really by the seat of their pants. But these people, they know about the purpose that God has for their lives. Verse 29, for God, for those God foreknew. Now, foreknowledge is a special knowledge of God that deals with purpose. Whenever you think foreknowledge, think purpose. Because God could just say in omniscience, I know everything. I know all the knowable. He doesn't have to say, you were foreknown. God knew you from eternity past. He knows every detail about every aspect of creation. Period. I mean, to say, does God know you? Did He always know you? He has always known all these details about all of creation. But foreknowledge deals with special category of God's uh, purpose for you. So when He says He foreknew you, He's saying, from eternity past, I, in my mind, have a specific purpose for your life. That's what he's saying in that word. He says, He also predestined. Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Predestined means to mark out your course or your life. 
So God has already marked out the boundaries of what your life would be like. He knew, for first of all, He planned it for you, because this is purpose. Whenever we talk about foreknowledge, it's a purpose that God has for your life. Then predestination says, this purpose is defined, I've marked it out, predefined what the purpose of your life, the boundaries of your life would consist of. Right? So then He says, you are predestined not just to any end, but to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. Now, that is to say that you, God had a special purpose that your life would be marked out to be uh, conformed or transformed into the very life of Christ. Now, you, you're going to see this as we go forward that, uh, like it says, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. But now we should know who the Son is. Obviously, that's Jesus Christ. But the son, did the son just begin at Mary? The son existed from eternity past. Remember, it was Jesus, the Bible says, that was in the beginning. And when it says in the beginning, what beginning? Because it says in the beginning, the word was. Well, the, the word didn't begin to exist at the beginning. The word already was at the beginning. What beginning are we talking about? Well, it says, all things were made by Him. Without Him, there was not one thing made that was made. So the Word was in the beginning, was in the beginning. And what beginning is this? Creation. All things were made by Him. And there was not one thing made that was made. So the Word existed eternally. Jesus existed eternally. Not as the, in, in humanity, but as God, He existed. And, and when it says that we were conformed to be in His likeness, that is a reference to the fact that God has given us, He's chosen us in Christ to be just like Him. And that is a reference to the baptism of the Spirit. How do you get to be just like Christ? Well, baptism does... What's that word that we're always talking about when we say baptism? Identification. Identification, right? So when baptism means one object, us, is identified with another object so that the properties of the first object are changed into the properties of the second object. Okay? We are baptized into Christ. Christ isn't going to change to look like us. We are going to be changed to be essentially what He is. Okay? It's just like if I took a white cloth t-shirt or whatever and I had a bucket of red dye and I dipped the red cloth into the into the yeah, yeah the white cloth into the red dye what's going to happen it's going to turn red. you sure you sure you sure it won't stay white well it's going to definitely be red why because the properties of that is going to change into with the properties of the other so now what we have is that we are changed because of what God has done his power and that's exactly what the baptism of the spirit does for us it, it, when it says we are baptized into Christ and that's why it says that if we've been baptized with him identify with him we shall certainly live his life we shall walk in newness of life like he is if we have been planted together with him in the likeness of his death we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection life that's us we're going to share his life that's why I said this goes a little deeper but I want to go back here uh, so it says that we conform to the likeness of His Son. 
that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That firstborn means the preeminent one. Christ, Christ is the firstborn. It's almost like a pattern. Christ was, was created, you know, Christ, well, first he was eternally existing, and then he came in his humanity. And, 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 and this Christ, we are identified with the same person, and now we share all that he has. And that we are the many brothers that are conformed to his same image. Verse 30. And those he predestined, us, those are the same ones that he foreknew, right? He called. He also called. Now when he says he predestined, you aren't even born yet. You weren't even thought of yet. This is before God created anything. He foreknew you. He elected you. He predestined you. And then it says, he called. Called means once you were born and you come around to the understand that Jesus Christ died for your sins, you heard the gospel message, you were called. And those he called, he also justified. Now justify means forever. God declared that you are righteous forever. And how did he do that? By your works? No, by faith. Faith in Christ. And those he justified, he also glorified. So notice the process. Can God fail in this process? No way. He saw you from eternity past. He says, I foreknew you. right? I predestined you. right? And to be conformed into the very image and likeness of my Son. Now who's the Son? The Son is the ruler of all things. All things. The Father has put everything in the hands of the Son. Remember we read all those verses that dealt with how Jesus had to, said to the Father, all things that the Father has are mine. He, and even in, and at the end of Matthew 28, he says, all power in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. All things. Now, the, the Son is... Well, I just have to read this. Well, how much time we got now? Oh, we're in great time. Great time. We've got two minutes. Hebrews chapter 1. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days has He spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed. Now look at this. The Son is appointed as heir of all things heir of all things and through whom he made the universe wow the son is the heir of all things revelation 3 says he is the ruler of the creation of God and he owns all things he is the rightful heir that God has put in charge to run all creation well it's fitting isn't it because he is the creator for by him all things were created things in heaven things on earth principalities, powers, dominions. Uh, he, and all things were created by Him and for Him. Who we're talking about? The Son. And that is who you are identified with forever. So, we got we to gotta wrap this up because we could talk about this for a long time. So, what does God guarantee in the ceiling? He guarantees our inheritance. That is our inheritance. We're heirs, Christ is heir. We have one more verse, I guess I've got to turn. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. You're going to have to go quickly. And just to show, 
uh, Galatians 4, we'll start reading in verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns what? The whole estate. Galatians 4.1 He is subject to guardians, trustees, until the set time by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But look at verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Look at this next phrase, which is so key. That we might receive the full rights of sons. That is our inheritance. The fact that God has given us sonship in Christ. So, because you are sons, what does this mean? God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. That's the deposit. right? That's the, what is a deposit? It is the spirit of sonship. Remember we said the Holy Spirit is our deposit guaranteeing. So when the Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing what is to come, what is to come? This glory that is related to your inheritance. He has sent the Spirit of our sons in our hearts, the Spirit who calls our Abba Father, right? The Spirit cries in your heart, Abba Father. That is real. That's why it says in Romans 8, the Spirit bears witness with our spirits, what? That we are in fact the children of God. Sons of God. The Spirit makes that known to you. Now what other guarantee could that possibly be? See, he's telling us, I guarantee that you have this inheritance. That you are sons. Then he gives you the Spirit in your heart and identifies with your spirit. Right, Your spirit is your awareness of spiritual things. What God has created and you were born again. He gives you the Spirit, and the Spirit testifies with your spirit that you are, in fact, sons of God. And what is our result? We cry, Abba, Father. See, so that's a real experience that each of us can have with God. So watch this. Uh, it calls it Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son... God has also, God has made you also an heir. You're an heir just like Christ is an heir. That is your inheritance. And that is what the Holy Spirit guarantees that you you have. No doubt about it, you have this. It is part of who you are. God chose you from eternity past. And this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Why are you acting like Gentiles? They, Gentiles, don't even have an inheritance. These people who are are doing all these things and you're copying them, they don't even have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Why are you conducting yourself like that? We are to walk worthy of the calling that we have received. We have a high calling. How high is it? The highest calling, isn't it? That's when Paul says walk worthy in Ephesians 4.1 of the calling which we have received. Now we got a little bit of understanding. Ephesians, let's go one more. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to have to close on this. Verse 3. Right? Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with 
every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. What do you mean every spiritual blessing? You mean hath blessed us in the past. It's already done. You have this. And then it says how this blessing took place. For He chose us. He chose us. God chose us in Him. In who? Christ. Before the creation of the world. He chose us. That's why we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Because Christ has every spiritual blessing. He owns all things. Now, as far as possession, He owns all things. As far as rulership, He he is King of kings, Lord of lords. There is nobody who is higher than the Son. You can read that in Ephesians chapter 1 toward, let me show you, um, uh, verse um, 19, 20. It says, Which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And here it is, verse 21, Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. See, and this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling us this because guess what? You also were raised up in him. Read Ephesians 2.7. You also were included and he raised you up and seated you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the sealing ministry is deep. It can go pretty deep as far as what does God guarantee. First thing you need to understand as we close is the sig- it's a signature guarantee of God. What is it guaranteeing? That He is going to deliver on what He said. You can trust that God will give you that this is. Well, if God says this is true of you, man, you better just believe it. You just better walk away and believe it. Don't question God. When He says go, then you just need to get to stepping because God is telling you the truth. He cannot lie, and He doesn't have any reason to lie. He isn't trying to impress anybody. He is God. So when he tells you, I guarantee, man, God shouldn't even have to tell you that. But because of who we are, he gives us guarantees. Don't we want guarantees? Don't we want to be sure? And yet God does it. He says, man, I'm giving you something and I guarantee it. I, I put my signature guarantee. I'm telling you by putting my spirit upon you that I own you. And that these things are true of you. Not only that, that is a deposit. That, that spirit that we have in it that, that causes us, when we realize that it causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, because it bears witness that we are in fact children of God. That's that second part of what the sealing should mean to us. So if we see these two things about sealing, and we understand that this is a guarantee of something grand, something glorious, something we might not have seen before, but boy, we better start looking at it because it is our heritage. It belongs to us. It's ours. We need to start thinking in terms of this. Living our lives, ordering our lives according to this. The Bible says, whoever has this hope in them purifies themselves, even as he is pure. We conform our lives to the life of Christ. We are transformed into the same image. We're going to have to close. 
But the ceiling, I, do we have any questions? I don't know. I don't know. But we're going to have to cover questions next time. But let's stand as we close. I don't want to keep you guys too far beyond. Because Bill said we had two minutes. We still got, what, one minute now? At least. At least a minute. Okay, well, we got time to pray. Thank, thank, thankful to be thankful to God for what He has done in our lives. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, again. As we close, we want to just pause. And thank you so much for the tremendous blessings. Every spiritual blessing you have given us in Christ. And you've done it, Father, from eternity past. We are discovering now, Father, all that you have already done. And as it unfolds in us, and we see, begin, it dawns upon our consciousness who we are in Christ. Lord, we are amazed. We are in awe of these things. And, and the more we think about it, Lord, the more gratefulness, appreciation just bubbles over in our hearts because we are, in fact, who you say we are. And Father, we're not that because of some uh, great accomplishment in our lives. It is by grace that we are anything. All these things that you have given us, you have given it to us free. It is by grace we are saved through faith. And that not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. So as we leave, Father, we pray that you would challenge us by the things that we've heard. Stir our hearts, Lord, to even discover more about this subject as we go this week. Put this on our minds so that we can understand the fullness. And we can see the light of what you are telling us in the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this ministry. It is confirmation, tangible proof of what you promised. Lord, we receive that proof. We understand what, what it says. And Lord, we know that that experience that is within us, that what compels us to cry out, Abba, Father, is demonstrable proof, demonstrable proof, that what you have given us is just a token of what is to come. So again, we thank you, Father, for this ministry that we've had, and we pray for Word is Truth Christian Church that we will continue to be faithful to why you called us in the first place. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.